Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It is another episode of 49ers Webs on No Huddle Podcast. Your 5-0 San Francisco 49ers No Huddle Podcast. I'm Zane. We got stats. We got Levin. And as always, the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast is sponsored by theqbsteak.com for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools. Head to theqbsteak.com. And guys, this is this is becoming a, a nice tradition for us. Uh, another no huddle podcast, another victory podcast. We're five for five this year. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels great. Uh, still haven't had a a losing podcast. Haven't had to do one yet this season. Hopefully that <laughs> continues. Considering opponent, it it better. Levin, didn't somebody pick against the Forty ers <laughs> last <Aww>. week? <laughs> Starting early, huh? Who was that? Wow, just about about forty five seconds in, huh? Just just gonna right away just. <laughs> Well, okay, so here's the, here's the thing. What what happened was <laughs> <laughs> I thought that the the Rams would not lose to Rams. And and like I said, my heart it was the Niners, right? My head was telling me the Rams, my heart was the Niners. And the way they came out of the game and they right away allowed that touchdown. It was kind of alarming because the Rams came out, they ran eight straight times and I don't think anybody was expecting that. Especially given the fact that Todd Gurley was out. They came down, they marched down the field, didn't even face a third down, and just knifed through the Niners' defense to take the 7-0 lead. The Niners had gone three and out previous to that, and I was like, oh, crap, there we go. But then what the, the rest of the game, what a game by the entire team. Like This was the signature Kyle Shanahan win, guys, wasn't it? Yeah, so far, this is definitely, I think, the, the biggest win in the Shanahan era, probably the closest after that would be the Jacksonville victory when Garoppolo kind of announced that he's the quarterback of the future but this one has actual meaning the season was over by then in in that Jacksonville victory it was definitely to me surprising how much the Niners dominated I thought it would be a true game I thought it would be a little more high scoring mainly because I thought the Rams would score more I think the Niners could have scored more Shanahan's kind of talked about it a little bit that once he realized how good the defense was and how dialed in they were he kind of scaled it back a little bit and took less risks offensively so that he didn't risk getting them back in the game. But uh, it, it was definitely a great game and, to me, surprising just how much the Niners dominated, and it's why they're now finally getting the credit nationally from all the pundits. And the thing that was encouraging to me was, obviously the defense played well, and without question they were the people that carried the load for this game but the 49ers game plan going in was to run the ball and you look at the 49ers rushing performance on the day they didn't have 100 yards as a team they averaged just 2.4 yards per carry yet even with that said like like you said Levin they could have scored more than the 20 points they put on the board I mean Jimmy Garoppolo has Tevin Coleman wide open in the flat I still don't know how that pass wasn't completed for a touchdown it bounced off Tevin Coleman's hands and, you know, it, so the game script didn't go the way that most 49er fans were hoping it would go, yet they were still productive enough on offense and at least moved the chains enough 
to get the win. And that was what's most encouraging to me because good teams find a way to win when maybe your strength isn't your strength on that particular day. Yeah, and even I, in that game, I, I think one thing that uh, really spoke to Kyle Shanahan's expertise was, you know, other than that first drive, Aaron Donald was kind of a non-factor. You know, he, he did have some run plays that he, he got in there for, but Shanahan was able to kind of scheme and limit them. And it it's a big reason why, you know, scheme-wise from Shanahan, but also Jimmy Garoppolo's quick release, why Jimmy Garoppolo is leading the league in terms of the shortest amount of time of holding the ball before making the pass. And that, to me, is showing why the Niners are able to lose both offensive tackles and not really skip a beat. I really feel like Kyle Shanahan kind of went back to what Jimmy did in the first five games that he was here. There, that was a lot of really quick release throws, a lot of really, I don't want to say simplified offense because Kyle Shanahan's offense requires you to be able to read a defense. And that's why guys like CJ Beathard and Brian Hoyer couldn't run it. So the, he's basically gone back to what worked with Jimmy. And I think last year, he got away from that, and that's why we saw Jimmy struggle a little bit. He asked him to, to hold the ball a little bit and, and try to make plays from inside the pocket. But the, the thing with Jimmy is that he's best when he can make those quick throws, blitz beaters, if you will, quick routes that come open very quickly. We saw Dante Pettis on the sideline, right? When he was against Marcus Peters, he ran, he ran a quick out, perfectly executed by Jimmy, and Pettis got it down near the goal line. So routes like that are kind of his forte, and I think that as he gets more comfortable running all the plays in the entire playbook, you'll see them open it up a little bit more. But honestly, guys, I think that Kyle Shanahan saw this game and he was like, hey, I can win this on cruise control. I can win this basically just by running the ball as much as I can, 40 carries for 90-something yards. It, he, he, didn't, he didn't get that same type of production that he's used to out of his running backs, but it was just good enough. And I think the way that the defense played, that's all you needed. And they held, man, they held Jared Goff to under 80 yards passing. And they absolutely just stymied that Rams offense this vaunted Sean McVay state-of-the-art offense we've been hearing about it all offseason and heard about it last year too and they absolutely just suffocated them and it was such an impressive showing before we move on to the defense I, I do want to talk about uh, Jimmy for for the weekly I guess Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> quarterback evaluation that we're doing the, the throw in the end zone they had the interception in the end zone so there's two ways you can look at that. There's the, come on, Jimmy, what are you doing? Throw that, that you see him make, which he made another one later in the game to, to Pettis that almost got returned for a pick six, but he'll make a couple of those throws. This particular throw, George Kittle was held off the line, so I understand that. And Debo was supposed to fake a quick hitch, a, basically like a, like a screen, a bubble screen, and Jimmy was supposed to throw the fade to, to Kittle. And it was kind of some sort of communication, a miscommunication that play. And Marcus Peters kind of read his eyes and it all around, like it was just, there was so much going on in that play that really on that particular instance, I don't even think that they should have thrown the ball. You're on basically the goal line. You've got to run it there. You have one of the best running games in the league, number two in the league right now. You have to be able to run that and get that one yard. So to me, it was a bad call by Shanahan to start, but it was even worse execution by Jimmy. I actually think the person that is at fault on the play is Debo. He runs that little smoke screen and then for some reason decides to start walking towards the end zone. And he's the one, that's the reason Peters is in the end zone. And that's the reason he's in position to intercept the ball because instead of staying out of the end zone and out of the play, he starts walking back toward the goal line and Peters is right there. That's the easiest interception he's going to have. 
I think that was just a receiver being a receiver, like the instincts taking over like a scramble drill where literally his job, they're probably like Debo. I don't even want you to be near the ball. I want you to yes. take Marcus Peters across the field, right? Right. Go maybe, away. Yeah. Maybe next time that'll be the better call. Like have Debo run like a quick slant and see if Peters bites. If he, if he bites on the slant, then Kittle's open in the back. Right. I think that that would probably be a, a in my amateur play design opinion, that would probably have been a better play design. Right. I, I think on that play, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo gets the interception, but he might be the third person on the list in terms yes. of who's to blame. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan is right up there with Debo as the most to blame. And then there's Garoppolo where he should have seen it and recognized it. But at the same time, he's expecting something to happen and everything happens so quickly. And Kyle Shanahan even said that, you know, he called it and told Garoppolo to just throw it. And he kind of, that's why Shanahan in the post game kind of took some of the blame and explained that because Garoppolo was doing exactly what Shanahan told him to do. So Garoppolo to me is kind of the third person to blame for that, even though it is a stereotypical interception of Garoppolo. You know, he, he has those, what are you doing type interceptions or throws every, every game. He has one or two of those. It, it is what it is, but that's one that uh, doesn't really fall on his shoulders in my opinion. He'll make a big boy throw though. He had a few throws that were just big boy throws that man, he stayed in there, stepped in the pocket and took a shot and he delivered it on time. So I think that's the trait that they see in him, that he's able to do it under pressure under like, he's better when they blitz. Right. So that's statistically Jimmy Garoppolo over his career has been better against the blitz. So there's that one throw that I wanted back from him. And the other one was the, the flea flicker Mar- Marquise Godin, who, who dropped it, who should have really caught it. But I think that, in that same instance, Levin, what you're saying is Kyle, Kyle Shanahan maybe may have said the same thing to him at that point. It was like, look, you can't overthrow this. We have to complete that pass, right? So he he put it in a place where, where Marquise Goodwin could get it, and he absolutely flat out just dropped it. And and those are the two throws that I said that maybe if you put it out there a little bit more, Goodwin would have had that touchdown. But even then, like Goodwin's got to catch that. One last point on Garoppolo for me. You got to... The people who are criticizing him, the thing I, I keep thinking about is that he is masking a lot of offensive line issues because of that quick release. His ability to stay in there, be disciplined, and get the ball out in a very Tom Brady-esque way. You know, you don't like to compare these guys forever, even though they played together. And obviously, Garoppolo learned a lot from Brady, but in a lot of ways, they are very similar. Their strengths are very similar. You know, you mentioned how Garoppolo is great on the short passes. That's what Tom Brady's so good at. He's so great on those short timing routes. He's great at getting the ball out and having that quick release mask a lot of offensive line issues, which is why the Patriots have not invested in their offensive line all that often. And it's because Tom Brady's quick release can make what should be a sack turn into a completion or at least an incompletion. And to me, Garoppolo hasn't gotten enough credit for that because if you had a more stereotypical quarterback somebody like Joe Flacco who we're seeing Thursday night get sacked left and right he would be getting sacked left and right and this offense would be sputtering if it wasn't for Garoppolo having that quick release yeah it's a little funny with Garoppolo the way the year is gone if you don't watch him play and you just look at the numbers you get a totally different picture I think of what's happening I mean 
in in week one, we I think it was week one, we had two touchdown passes to George Kittle that were called back, right? So those are touchdown passes that Jimmy Garoppolo throws that don't count. Then he gets a screen pass off that bounces off Matt Breida's hands, and that gets intercepted. That doesn't fall to the turf, right? I feel like all the, the 50-50 plays have gone against Garoppolo as opposed to for him. And all the good things that have happened have either been called back by penalty or have had some other fluke thing happen to make his numbers look a lot worse than I think they actually could be. I, I still am confident in him. He's, he understood his role on Sunday, which was just keep the chains moving. I don't have to throw for touchdowns. I don't have to get the chunk yardage. Keep the chains moving. Keep our offense on the field. Give our defense a chance to rest. And as long as we don't turn the ball over, we're going to win this game. Now, he did fumble. Aaron Donald stripped him, and he fumbled the ball, which Kyle made clear after the game he was not pleased about. But for the most part, Garoppolo did what he needed to do, and again, the team moved to 5-0. and So with the whole performance by the offense, like, do you guys feel like Kyle Shanahan's kind of getting into a groove now with the play calling? I feel like when, when he gets into a groove, there's nobody better. Maybe you could say Josh McDaniels, but he has Brady, right? But Kyle Shanahan, when he gets into a groove of play calling, like like he did against Cincinnati, for example, he has that that zone that other coaches can't get into. Do you feel like they're they're kind of there right now? Yeah, I think he's in the zone. And, and one thing that should be mentioned in terms of just how well Kyle Shanahan is doing, this isn't a typical Kyle Shanahan offense. Yes, they do tend to run, and they're running similar plays, but the passing game is nothing like he normally runs. Those intermediate, deeper routes that he tends to have as his bread and butter in his offenses is not what they're running. And a lot of that has to do with one, the offensive line injuries and two, the receivers just aren't excelling in those routes uh, consistently, but that shows the brilliance of Kyle Shanahan. He's able to adjust his offense and still get it to be moving the chains. I totally agree because I think traditionally Kyle Shanahan has liked to throw the ball to a number one wide receiver a lot of the time. We saw that when he was in Atlanta with with Julio Jones. That's really what he wants to do is he wants to run the ball and he wants to pound the ball in the passing game to a number one wide receiver. 49ers don't have that. The 49ers have only had a receiver go over 45 yards twice this entire season. That's just not how their team is built right now. But to what you're saying, Levin, is that he's able to adapt the scheme to go to Kittle, to Juszczyk, or Coleman, or use the other running backs to move the ball down the field. I mean, last year when Garoppolo was hurt, the team was moving the ball down the field with Juszczyk and George Kittle. And I was amazed all season. I said, this is a tight end and a fullback. That's the focus of a passing attack, and they're still getting the ball down the field. So I don't think he gets enough credit for how adaptable he's been so far in his 49ers tenure. Right, and those wide receivers, I wouldn't even say they have a clear number two right now. I mean, no wide receiver has really stepped up. Now, part of that might be the scheming that Shanahan's doing. I I do think Shanahan hasn't really had to go to him. So he hasn't been risking those deeper throws. And in a lot of ways, the wide receivers haven't had the chance to shine because if you do watch the film, you have seen some, some of the times where they do get open deeper, but it's just not high on the progression list for Garoppolo. So he, he gets to an, a different option before getting to that deeper ball. But in reality, it is what it is. The receivers, I forget the exact number, but uh, they haven't even combined Every single wide receiver on the Niners roster doesn't even have the combined stats of Michael Thomas in New Orleans. That That's an entire wide receiver core not combining for one guy bad? on another team. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's bad. So 
this is a problem that we identified in the offseason that they needed to bolster their receiving core. And they and they did with with the additions of Debo and Jalen Hurd, who's still we who still haven't seen in regular season action yet. However, when you draft rookies, you have to understand that there's a learning curve with that. And these guys aren't necessarily going to burst on the scene. It's very rare for a rookie to come out and post a, a thousand yard season, eight hundred, nine hundred yard season with almost ten touchdowns or double that just that just doesn't happen. Even in today's NFL where the focus is passing, it just, it doesn't happen very often because it takes time for that position to develop and, and to learn the little nuances that come with being able to get rid of a corner in the NFL and being able to deal with NFL passers that will throw it to you even when you're not ready because they want to throw it, they throw in a tighter windows than they do in college. And to understand that you're not going to be as wide open as you were in college. So I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is just that, they're becoming a little bit over-reliant on Kittle. And I'm not trying to criticize here because, look, they're 5-0, and it's working. But the reliance on Kittle, that eventually you're going to run into a team that's going to take him away. And you're going to have to find another way to beat that team. And let's say they take the runaway as well. You just, or it may not be working, or for whatever reason, like it just, you just don't have that option. You have to be able to get these wide receivers to get open. And this group, like I don't think they scare anybody. That's the unfortunate thing. Like I, I like Debo. I'm a Debo guy. I think that he's going to be great. But... He's just a rookie. How much are you going to rely on this guy to, to, to carry your offense? And you have to be able to have that go-to guy in crunch time. And right now it's Kittle, but it has to come from the wide receiver position as well. I have one thought that literally just popped in my head while you were talking there, Zane. With the scheming being a, at least a part of the wide receiver production, one has to uh, wonder if at some point down the road, Kyle Shanahan's going to have this treasure trove of plays that he's been sitting on simply because he hasn't had to use them yet. And all of a sudden we're going to see a game where the wide receivers dominate. Just a thought just popped in my head, but something that could quite likely, I mean, it's Kyle Shanahan. He always has that, you know, a bag of tricks. Maybe he has all these wide receiver plays that he's just been sitting on. It's possible. And I certainly would like to see it, but I honestly, you know, the trade deadline is coming up. I would love to see them make a move for a wide receiver. I think that, I mean, in a perfect world, I would love to see them go get A.J. Green. I don't know what it would take for sure. It might be a little too much for the 49ers to give up, considering they don't have a second-round pick next year, thanks to the D4 deal. But either A.J. Green or even Emmanuel Sanders from Denver, who somehow has magically come back from a ruptured Achilles and looks amazing. I don't really understand how that's happening. But I think there's guys out there they could go and get to add that would really, really help the offense and take pressure off the run game and off of Garoppolo. There was a rumor that they were interested in, in uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders in the offseason, and Denver's answer since then has been no. But it looks like they were trying to add a veteran presence there. Look, they have, remember they re-signed Jordan Matthews, I believe, last week or a couple of weeks ago. They, he, they brought him back. So he's a veteran presence that you really don't know what you can get out of him. He's more accomplished than any other receiver on the roster, but there's a reason why he's kind of bounced around the league. I, I think that he would be good in this offense, but it's just a matter of like, well, that means you're going to take somebody off the field. And, and in his limited time, Kendrick Bourne has made a couple of nice catches and Pettis seems to be sort of coming around ever since the Pittsburgh game. He seems to be more consistent and he was the best receiver on either team, frankly, on Sunday against the Rams. But when it comes down to it, they don't have that dynamic threat that really makes an offense go from the receiver position. And, and really, do you need it? No, because if you think about it, the old Mike Shanahan teams from the Denver Broncos, right? That I, I like to go back to those days. 
they didn't really have a, a super dynamic receiving threat. They had Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey who were reliable options, but they weren't like all world speed burner physical guys. They were, they were just system guys that did really well in that system. And what they had was they had Shannon Sharp, an elite tight end, Hall of Fame tight end, and they had Terrell Davis, Hall of Fame running back. So they had the running ma- running game, a really solid offensive line. John Elway obviously was the you know Hall of Fame quarterback at that point, but his skills were declining by that time. And you had really that that sort of dynamic on offense. And the 49ers have kind of built something similar here where I'm not saying that Jimmy is going to be a Hall of Famer, Bria is going to be a Hall of Famer. Hopefully they will, but I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that that the concept is the same where you really don't necessarily need a stud wide receiver to make it work. And I think that so far it's worked, but at some point I really hope that they can start getting the ball to some of these wide receivers. I really do. Well, there is one uh, factor when it comes to trading for a wide receiver, because people have talked about, well, there might not be a, a really big need because there's Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd who can come back. The one factor of that is a team can only bring back two people from that short term. IR in a given season. Are the Niners really going to use both designations on a wide receiver? It's possible, but that that that's something that's a, I mean, we could do a whole show in my opinion on that debate, you know, because there's four candidates mainly. Jason Verrett, is he really needed with Mosley stepping up and Witherspoon coming back? No, probably not. The other one's Contavious Street. Is he needed? No, look at the defensive, de- defensive line depth with Solomon Thomas stepping up this past week would he really get any plays? Who knows? I mean, it, nobody really knows what Contavious Street really is at this point. He could be a dominant defensive line that they want to bring back, or he could be somebody that's never going to play. And then you have the two wide receivers. But that, to me, if they have either Verrett for some reason or Contavious Street that they really want to bring back and are looking like they're going to be able to come back in terms of their rehab, that means only one of those wide receivers are coming back. Does that make them decide to go after a wide receiver and push them a little bit, push a little more of their chips towards trading for one? I mean, right now, if I said to you, you know, Marquise Goodwin and a second round pick in 2020 for AJ Green, would you sign for that right now? I would. I don't think Cincinnati would. They seem to have a very big asking price on AJ Green. They think, to me, they're acting like he's Odell Beckham from what the reports are out there. Now, sometimes those reports end up being completely false, but there's been reports out there. They're asking for at least a first round pick, you know, and he's older than Odell and he's not at Odell's level anymore, in my opinion, but and he's injury prone. Mm-hmm. Big time. He's 31 years old, injury prone. I mean, you want a first round pick. Good luck. I mean, you get Marquise Goodwin. He's, he's serviceable. You get a, a decent high draft pick. I mean, I don't know. If, if I'm the 49ers, I try and make that happen. And, and I feel like John Lynch is at least the kind of GM that's going to explore that stuff. He's going to find out what it's going to take. Maybe they don't make the deal, but I feel like he's going to be in there. They were in on Odell Beckham. They really wanted Odell Beckham. They obviously didn't pull the trigger, but you know they're in on these conversations. They, they, he tried to trade for Tom Brady, for God's sakes, before they got <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo. So he's going to make the calls. So... Let me ask you this first, Stats. Um, do you feel like the Niners' window for winning a championship is officially open now? Yes, 100%. What, they've got the head coach there locked up. 
They've got, you know, a lot of their players are still pretty young. They're going to have to pay Kittle and Buckner, which is going to make a big difference going forward in terms of how they build their team. It's going to put more pressure on John Lynch to nail some of his draft picks so they get some cheap talent. But I think the window is officially open now, and I would say for another two years at least, they they really need to capitalize on where the team is. What do you think, Evan? I think it's open. I think it's a, a lot to ask of a team that really has almost no playoff experience to run the gauntlet their first try. But teams have done it. Uh, you know, the, the you know New England team with Tom Brady, he was able to first time in playoffs quarterback and do it. But that team did have more playoff experience overall on the roster. And the Niners, I mean, they're Sherman, but there's not a whole lot of playoff experience. So I think it is a tall ask to run that entire playoffs. but. I mean, as it sits right now, they're in prime position to lock up a first round buy with the schedule they have. You know, they could, if they don't overlook some opponents coming up, they're quite likely to be 8 0 at the halfway point. And that puts them, even if they go 4 and 4 the rest of the way, in good position for a first round buy because generally 12 and 4 gets you a first round buy. And that, that's a huge advantage to be not only a first round buy, but then a home game. So I'd say the championship window is open, but. There's a lot that's still got to be happening. I mean, in the end, it's only five games. And we've seen teams before come out and dominate, and then something happens that changes everything. You never know. That locker room certainly seems like it's really cohesive and has a great mindset and not getting full of themselves. But it's hard to know without actually being in that locker room. One thing I, I liked that I heard about Kyle this week was he said in the press conference this this week he decided to take all the bad plays from the Rams game and show them to the entire team in a team meeting. You know, that to me, I liked seeing that because it says to me that, that Kyle knows, look, everybody's singing our praises now and, and they got Washington this week and well, look, Washington stinks. They're tied for the worst record in the NFC. He's trying to guard against that trap game. The Niners have to go east again. So he he understands what can happen and how this thing can go wrong very quickly. And I like that he's trying to get out ahead of that situation. Right. And now before we get to that Washington game, I do want to talk about the defense. And man, what a performance by that, specifically that defensive line, but the entire defense as a whole absolutely just choked out one of the best offenses in the league, if not the best offense in the league. Like I've never seen anybody do that to a Sean McVay offense besides the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I've never seen anybody do that. And they were so good. They, Jared Goff had no chance. He was flustered. He was inaccurate. Like he had Gerald, Gerald Everett at the end of the game. Sherman bit on a double move. He had Gerald, Gerald Everett wide open down the field, th- overthrew by 10 yards because he was so flustered by that point. They stopped the, the goal line stand that they had the, for the, the second time this season. The first time was against the, the Browns. And the second time this season, they had a goal line stand where they basically said, uh-uh, you're not scoring. They took the ball back, and basically that's where the game turned. They were unbelievable. And am I, am I crazy in saying that this is arguably better than those Harbaugh defenses right now? Am I, am I, is my recency bias taking over right now? Uh, I mean, it. At the very least, I would say it's close. <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to say, really. I mean, yes, there was a great defensive line on those hardball years. I mean, it was a different defensive setup. Uh, I would say as good as the linebackers have been, I'm not picking against Patrick Willis and Navarro <laughs> Bowman. But fair enough, fair enough. This secondary, I think, ironically looks 
at least to me, better than that uh, older secondary in 2011. But it, it's way too early. It, it's five games, and those defenses were championship-level defenses that should have gotten a championship and, and really cemented themselves as an all-time defense. So it's hard to put a team five games in at that level. But they certainly have a shot. I will say, and I this is something I tweeted earlier this week, I don't understand why people put the Patriots defense this year ahead of the 49ers. I, I don't understand it at all. Look who the Patriots have played. The Patriots haven't played anybody with any decent quarterback except for Ben Roethlisberger, and we know that his arm was basically falling off. So I, I clearly think the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL. Like you said, they shut down the Rams. The Rams, I, didn't, I think, didn't complete a pass longer than 12 yards in the entire game. It was complete domination. I've never seen both tackles get pushed so far into the backfield that the quarterback has to step up into the pocket because he's going to be a sandwich if he doesn't. And that's what happened on Sunday. It was complete domination by San Francisco. I think their offense or their defense is the best in the league. I don't care what New England does. Let's see New England play somebody good first and then get back to me. And even though I'm getting a little annoyed by all the Robert Stahl reaction shots on the sideline, like I don't need to see him every time, but I do love the way his defense is playing. Well, wait till they play the Seahawks. They'll be showing Pete Carroll, rea- good or bad. Right? Hopefully it's a lot of bad reactions, but man, the, the Pete Carroll reactions are, are like a million times worse. <laughs> the chewing gum. I don't, I don't need Pete Carroll. Rea- no, thank you. No, <laughs> I, I do miss Harbaugh reactions. That's true. <laughs> no one gave a, good, a reaction like Jim Harbaugh. Headset goes flying off. But I, I will say this week, uh, I really want to. I wouldn't mind them having like a split the cameras in two and so, show the game and show Kyle Shanahan at all times because I really want to see his reactions when the Niners score or get a big sack. Because yeah. this is a, I mean, he, he kind of tried to downplay it, but it's a revenge game. He really does not like that organization. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, he, he came out in the press conference this weekend and they asked him, Matt Mayoko, a friend of the show, asked him, what was the best part about coaching in Washington? And I'm paraphrasing here. He said it, it was it was really great coaching with my dad, right? Being alongside my dad coaching. And and uh, then Mayoko followed up with the follow-up question and said, what was the worst part? And Kyle Shannon said, uh, everything else. And kind of, kind of <laughs> laughed from the room. And it just goes to show you how he feels about that organization. And while it's been a number of years since he coached there, there's still those hard feelings. And one thing about Kyle Shanahan is that when he feels slighted and he has a chance to embarrass you, he will embarrass you. Against Sean McVay, he felt like the Niners got a little bit embarrassed last year where they the last game of the season they gave up a ton of points and and they didn't have the horses to run with the Rams and he came back and he embarrassed Sean McVay. So that's I like that. I want that in a head coach. I like I like a guy that's gonna say, Hey, screw you, I'm gonna put fifty on you if I can, right? So that's what Kyle that's who Kyle is, and and that's really the identity that this team has taken where they will embarrass you if they get the chance. Because they have that underdog mentality right now. They say a hungry, hungry dog hunts, hunts best, right? They are that hungry dog. And with every progressive week, they're passing each test. Last week, it was like, okay, well, let's see what they do against the Rams. Absolutely annihilated them in, in their own home. Coming off of a hard loss in Seattle, the Rams were pissed off. They absolutely just throttled them. And it was a, it was a statement win, like we said at the outset. And before, before we go forward, I do want to do game balls. Um, but I, I'll finish on my thought before we, do, before we get there. The Niners today, the reason why I, I compared them to the Harbaugh teams before, and I, I had this thought earlier, a team follows the personality of its head coach most of the time. 
And the Niners teams of the Harbaugh era, I felt like they were so tense and so intense because they followed Jim Harbaugh's lead because he was that guy. And I feel like these these Niner teams are kind of following Kyle Shanahan's lead where they're they're intense, but they're more controlled, right? Like it's a controlled chaos that you see from them. It's not like running around with our like chickens with our heads cut off. It's it's like, okay, there's a, there's a methodical way we're going to go about things. And there's a way that we're going to do this without really losing our cool. You don't see these teams taking those stupid, like 15 yard penalties that the Niners used to take when they played up in Seattle, like those dumb penalties for hitting it after the whistle. They don't do that. And I really feel like it's to their benefit when you get into a high stakes game to remain cool and remain calm. I really feel, I really feel like they, they lost that Super Bowl because they were too tense. They came out and they weren't ready to play. They came out with a penalty. They were too tense. Harbaugh was too tense. And then when they got back into the flow of the game, then you saw the real 49ers in the second half. But by that time, it was almost too late. So to me, the fact that Kyle Shanahan is a cool customer, cool under pressure, it's to the benefit of this team. Well, I think they lost that Super Bowl because they didn't give Frank Gore the ball. But that that's yeah. Uh... That's an old issue that we don't need to bring up. <laughs> well, I mean, they, 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 they I, I mean, I disagree. I mean, I, well, I agree because that, that happened at the end, but by that time, the damage was already done. Like they, they fell behind because they didn't come prepared to play. Right. Like they, they absolutely like the Ravens jump on, jumped on them. Like we come on, look at Joe Flacco today. Like at this point in, in time. And do you, do you really believe that this guy beat the 49ers for a Super Bowl? Come on, man. Like nope. Joe Flacco is, he, he's an average quarterback who got hot at the right time. And, and all of that stuff combined with the fact that they were tense and they, they didn't come out ready to play and they just fell too far behind. They ran out of time. So really that's just, that's just my opinion on it. I, I know that I'm not trying to trash the Harbaugh teams. That was a great run, but I, I'm really, really happy with where they are now. I, I don't think any Niner fan can be disappointed with where the Niners are right now. If they're disappointed, I would say they're not a Niner fan. How, I mean, disappointed in what? There's zero losses. Like literally, what could? Unless you wanted them to score forty points a game, you have nothing to complain about. Yeah, and there's still some people out there who are still like, oh well, well this, well that. Well, you know what? Like, look at the record and just be happy because for four years we've been complaining about them losing. So they're finally winning team, a content, a playoff contending team. Let's be happy with that. All right, now on to game balls. So I think I'll go first this week. So I think that. This performance that the defense put on was an all-time Kyle Shanahan sort of like statement sort of performance, right? Where we've never seen them do this before, right? We've seen them do good stuff before, but this this was a performance back from those Harbaugh days, right? Where that we had that dominant defense with all those pro bowlers, all pros, and and hopefully future Hall of Famers. This it was a throwback to those Vic Fangio days. And Robert Sala, we were we were after his head last year. We were like, he's He's got to go. He's going to be the first one fired if it doesn't go well. He can't call a scheme, too much soft defense, but really what he needed was the players. And I feel like another that one year in the uh, another year in the scheme really helped him. And the fire, the passion that he brings. I know you don't like the the sideline shots stats, but I love the fact that they are they're literally like a family. They're bought in. The defense is bought in. And Robert Sala is in that zone that I was saying that Kyle Shanahan's in. Robert Sala's in that zone as a defensive play caller. And for that reason, Robert Sala gets my game ball. All right. Well, I think th- there's two people I would like to give it because I think it it was a there's two people in this game defensively that kind of quieted some of their critics that have been around for quite a while. But I got to pick one, so I'm going to go ahead and take Jimmy Ward because we haven't mentioned him yet, but he's really kind of redeemed himself. It, it, it's kind of funny. Two weeks ago, 
he would have been one of the least popular players on the team. I don't think there's any question about that. And now it's all of a sudden this week, he's one of the most popular players. Everybody's singing his praises on Twitter and, and, you know, you've seen some pundits breaking down his film and talking about how, how big it was. But I think this game in particular, he deserves the game ball because he had those back-to-back stops uh, on a third and fourth down that stopped the Rams from getting back in the game when they could have gotten and made this a real game. I think the game ball should go to us because I'm pretty sure we talked about who's going to cover Cooper Cup and what did we say? We said it was Jimmy Ward and and what did we see on that little pivot route that the Rams love to do? Jimmy Ward basically ran the route step for step with Cooper Cup and broke it up. I mean, I, I think I, we should get the game ball for that just personally. Cool. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take a game ball. No problem. Any, anytime, anybody, anytime, anytime anybody wants to give one to us, I'm down. I'm down with that. So, But I, I have to say about Jimmy Ward to finish up on this, I think that He's proving a lot of people wrong, including myself. Like I was a Jimmy Ward doubter. Uh, I didn't really see this type of performance coming out of him where he basically took over a series. I, I never seen him do that in his entire career, but he really seems to be settling in quite nicely at the free safety position. And, and the fact that they trust him enough to cover the most targeted receiver in the NFL is a big testament to him. Quan Williams went out with an injury late in that game and Jimmy Ward stepped right in and he did, he did phenomenal. So Really happy to see Jimmy Ward doing well. Really happy that I was wrong. And I really hope that that free safety position now is solidified because at the beginning of the season, it was pretty shaky. So I hope that they've, that they figured it out now. All right. So moving on to this week's game against the Washington football franchise, because I'm not going to say that name. <laughs> and you're looking at a team that comes in with one win that they just got against the Miami Dolphins, who are basically a JV team right now. But possibly Dwayne Haskins starting as of the recording of the show. He's taking all the first team snaps. Case Keenum hurt. It's just, it's all right. Open season on this guy, right? What do you guys think? Stats, what do you think? Awesome. Please start Dwayne Haskins against this defense. Make it make it easier for the 49ers. I mean, look, the, the 49ers are better on offense. They're better on defense than Washington. The only way the 49ers lose this game is if they hurt themselves. If they turn the ball over and don't take care of it. Like we've seen in, in spots and places, especially not just this year, but last year, God, they were minus 25 in turnover differential. As long as they take care of the football, there's no way Washington's going to be able to beat them. I don't see any way or any reason why this should not be an absolute blowout. I'm actually kind of surprised that the Vegas line right now is only nine and a half points. I know that the Niners are on the road going to the East Coast, so it is kind of one of those classic Vegas trap games where a team underperforms what you're expecting because of that East Coast time zone issue. But Washington is 27th in offense. And they're 25th in defense. I mean, they're terrible on both sides of the ball. And it, it even gets worse than that. You know, I was looking at, at, at their results this season to kind of re-familiarize myself with the earlier games because I, I knew they beat Miami. But they're, they're 30th in points offensively. And they scored 48 points in the first two weeks, but only 42 points in their last four games. So they're even worse than that 30th ranking. The last four weeks... I mean, they're averaging 10 and a half points and they've gotten to play teams like Miami. They also got to play the Giants. I mean, it's not like they've played super, super tough teams every single game. They did play New England in the the last four games, but they've had easier games too and they're still not scoring. And then, like I said, defensively, 
they're not really any better. Maybe slightly better. The 25th in uh, in yards, like I mentioned, but they're 28th in points allowed. They're terrible on both sides of the ball. Meanwhile, the Niners are the exact reverse of that. They're great on offense and they're great on defense. This really should be a game where Washington can't score any points, especially with a rookie quarterback who's going to be under duress or should be under duress. And then they should be putting up points with as bad as that defense is. And it should be, I'm hoping, the game that Garoppolo kind of quiets any critics that are left because we've mentioned that it's a revenge game. I would not be at all surprised if this is a game that even though it won't be needed, Shanahan does call some of those deeper passes. And even late in the game, when the game's already decided, I could see him still passing at times just to try to run up the score. Yeah, for me, this is an important game for Jimmy Garoppolo because this is his 16th start. So he will officially have a year of starts under his belt after this game. It's the first time in his career he started six straight games. Uh, For me, this is okay. Where is Jimmy from this point going forward? You know, if he was a rookie coming into the league after his first year, I would say, okay, I've seen some things, but, you know, I'm not going to decide exactly how good this player is until I see him from this point on. Well, this is the 16th start. So. They say the biggest jump for a quarterback is between year one and year two. Well, he's starting, you know, after after Sunday's game, he's going to be starting year two. So let's see where he is from this point forward, especially now having more time in such a complicated offense. So th- this is the start of my Jimmy G evaluation. So I don't want to be uh, the negative Nancy here, but... Are you picking Washington? No, I'm not Washington. <laughs> well, that would be the bet of all bets, right? No, but I'm not... I don't want to... I don't want to kind of uh, burst everybody's bubble here. But the thing is, is that they, when a team fires his head coach, which Washington already did with Jay Gruden, uh, they sometimes get rejuvenated. And this Washington team still has good talent on the roster, right? They've got Adrian Peterson. Although he's not the same Adrian Peterson of old. He can still run it. They've got um, McLaurin, the, the rookie receiver, who's really dangerous, five touchdowns in five games. They've on the defensive side. They've got Ryan Kerrigan and um, Norman, and they've got Landon Collins, and they've got uh, Montez Sweat, who they who they traded up to get. So, really, they've got a lot of smaller pieces there. And although they're not very good, you really have to be weary of a team like this. Like you're going to their home with the new coach, who's playing his first home game. I believe. I believe that the game was in Miami last week. Am I am I right, guys? Yes. yes. So it's it's his first home game and they are basically looking to be a spoiler at this point. So those games to me are, are really dangerous. And, and on top of that, it's a 10 o'clock start, which which is tougher for West Coast teams. So really, I hope that the Niners are taking this seriously. I hope that they just won't roll out there like they rolled out there against Pittsburgh, not ready to play. This is a handle your business game. The mm-hmm. good teams come in there. They don't let they don't let the opponent hang around. They come in there. They score on the opening possession. You know they really just take all the air out of their sails. Well, you know they they got a new coach. It's a home game. They want to do all that stuff. And the Niners will need to go in there right away. Go right down the field. Ideally, run the ball right down their throat and immediately make a statement and say, "Not today, boys," and and just handle your business. It's a business trip. And and hopefully that's what the 49ers do. I hope they do as well. I hope they really take it seriously because look, if the, the Redskins come out and and whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Keenum or Haskins, throws like a 70-yard bomb to McLaurin to open the game and you're down seven nothing right away, like 
that's the worst thing that you can let happen. And by the way, I feel like, as an aside, I feel like Emmanuel Mosley is really not being tested a lot at all. Do you guys feel that same way too? Like, it's a, is it kind of odd? I, is it is it because he's that good because of the pass rush? Like, why aren't teams testing Emmanuel Mosley? I don't think they've had the time to test him. That I think that's a big part of it. Is they really haven't had, uh, you know, the, the defensive line. We all know how great they've been and how much you know Nick Boza has dominated since he got healthy, even though he, he was very good before he, with the ankle injury before the bye week. But to me, he hasn't played bad either. If you review the film, it's not like there's been guys that have been getting open on him that were just missed. He's been playing great, so there's not a whole lot to test there. I'm surprised the guys haven't thrown at Richard Sherman more, to be honest with you. I'm not convinced that Richard Sherman is, you know back to or close to the guy that he was in Seattle. To me, every time I watch Richard Sherman on film, it looks like he's playing off everybody. He's terrified of getting beat deep, and he will give you the outs and the curls, and he'll come up and make the tackle. And I'm really surprised that they haven't gone at him more, because I think that he is not the same guy, and there's there's yards to be gained there, if like we've been saying, you have the time to throw the ball. Right, and we, I think uh, Zane was the one that mentioned where he bit on a double fake uh, last week and got burned deep. There have been opportunities against Sherman. And I was under the same thought that you think Sherman's not quite as dominant as he used to be. I think he's still a very good corner, but he's not that dominant corner that you just don't throw to his side of the field. But then I did see a stat and I can't remember what, which media outlet put it out there, but I saw it on Twitter where Sherman is allowing the fewest yards per target thrown his way in the NFL over the last two or last three seasons since 2016, which includes last year and this year. Now it wasn't just for this year. So I don't know what he's done this year in that. And that's a hard stat to to find yourself without just watching every single play and calculating it yourself. But that to me shows maybe, maybe he were wrong and he is dominant, but I do. I wondered this last year because I, I did notice the same thing that he always plays off. Why aren't they just, Okay, you're going to play off. We're going to take that three, four, five yards that you're going to give us. We're going to run a short slant on you because you're playing five yards off, and we know we're going to get the completion and get five yards. But at the same time, Sherman also likes to kind of be a trickster where he he baits a quarterback into throwing those types. And he's also the type of guy that's going to learn. You do it once, he might pick the next one. But I am a bit surprised in that and like i said in film you haven't seen mosley get beat but we have seen sherman getting beat occasionally he is i think he he is susceptible to those double moves it's not the first time in the last two years i've seen him get beat on a double move because i think he he knows that he doesn't have the elite speed so he has to be super aggressive yeah he's really good at that press bail technique right where you press at the line and right before the snap is, is uh, right before the snap happens, he bails and he, and he basically gives a, a little bit of a cushion. So he's one of the best in the league at that. Because again, like you said, he doesn't have elite speed. He never has, right. He's always gotten by on physicality and, and his own guile. So I think that that's going to continue. And, and I think he's been great this year for, for a number of reasons with that, that young secondary, but really, I think that Washington will probably try to test Mosley more. Uh, I think because they have nothing to lose and you're going to see them try to, especially if Haskins plays, they'll probably try to pound the ball with Peterson and that bodes well for the 49ers because their run defense is pretty good. And you'll see more 
of Solomon Thomas inside. He had that sack last game from from the the interior, which was great to see. I think he's he's going to be really good there. They should keep him there, and you'll see him more part more a part of that rotation. But Washington really they they just don't match up well, and they don't have anything that really scares you. I know McLaurin is a, is a really good player, but he's not a guy that can take over a game, right? He's a guy that's basically like a home run threat. And then it's like, okay, well double him over the top. Then who do you have? So they just don't have the talent that matches up with the Niners. And it's nice. First of all, it's nice to be able to say that. And second of all, I I really think that as if you're going to be contending for a division title and a first round buy and all these things that all these people are now saying about the 49ers, you have to have these games. You have to win these games that are basically trap games. And not only this week, but the next two after this, right? And and we'll get to that in a little bit. But really, the, the Niners have to score early, put the Redskins down, uh, I said their name, put the Washington franchise down, and ensure that they can't get back up and let that defense go to work. Really, that's when that defense is going to be at its best. So as far as predictions go, I'm going Niners. Like, there's no there is no decision on this, right? It's, it's Niners, and I'm going to say that it's not going to be close. They'll, they're going to go 31-10. Yeah, I'm kind of debating how high I want to go with the <laughs> Niners. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm going to go 34 points for the Niners. I don't think Washington gets a touchdown. I think that's going to be what the defense goes into this game as their goal. No touchdown. So I will give Washington three scoring drives, which means three field goals. So I'll go 34-9. Well, you guys are more optimistic than me. I'm going to go 24-10 San Francisco. I think that Washington will get a garbage touchdown somehow, maybe even off a turnover. They'll, they'll sneak in somehow, some way, but it's going to be one of those games where the score doesn't really tell the story about how much one team controlled the game. So I'll go 24-10, but it's going to feel better than that. All right, guys, I got to break this right now. So as of the recording of this show, we I just found out right now, um, looks like I just found out on, on Twitter, it's trending. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has a dislocated kneecap. So he's going to be out for, I don't know how long, but he's going to miss time for sure. Going for an MRI tomorrow, that's huge. That's like landscape altering for the NFL if it's a significant injury. Like they'll see if there's any ligament damage underneath that. Um, you know, I've had knee problems as an athlete in the past and they're not fun. They're, they take a long time to heal sometimes. And I, I wish him the best. I hope a quick recovery. But man, if he's out, for an extended period of time, does that does that not change the landscape of the NFL? Certainly changes it for a team like the Raiders, who are in that division and are sitting with a decent record. And that Chiefs offense is nothing without Mahomes. I mean, in, in all honesty, in my opinion, that team hasn't done a very good job of building that roster outside of getting Mahomes and getting a Tyreek Hill. The defense is garbage. I mean, it's one of the worst in the league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. there's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. It's one of the worst in the league. And now without Mahomes, that offense at best is going to be average. So if he's out for a significant period of time, they might not even make playoffs. But for the Niners, I mean, it, it's the AFC and they're not on our schedule. So it's not going to be a huge seismic shift in the favor of the Niners because it doesn't affect them a whole lot. Yeah, I agree. It, right now, it doesn't seem like it's going to affect them. Uh, you're right about the defense being garbage. Coming into the game tonight, they'd given up at least 180 rushing yards in four straight games. People are just powering the ball down the field against them. My first thought when I when I saw the Mahomes news was, well, 
Tom Brady's walking into his fourth straight Super Bowl appearance. Yep, like that's, I mean, who else in the AFC? There's only one other team in the AFC. I feel like that could even challenge him, and that would be Houston, just because Deshaun Watson is so freaking awesome, basically. But other than that, I just look and say, well, if the Niners did somehow manage to get to a Super Bowl, they're going to be playing. Get ready for two weeks of the student in Jimmy Garoppolo faces the mentor and Tom Brady and, and that whole nonsense. But like we've said, we're a long, long way away from that. I'm not going to lie. I've thought of that. I actually have recently thought of it. I've dreamed about it and uh, <laughs> it would be a, quite the storyline for the NFL. Now, look, can we clinch a playoff spot first, please? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But going back to that Ravens and Niners Super Bowl, right? Like, the year before, if you guys remember, the, the Niners went to Baltimore on a Thursday night and they played, and the ratings were the ratings were just off the charts because it was brother versus brother, and the Niners ultimately lost that game, but the ratings were great. And I was like, you know, what if the NFL just like would love a Harbaugh, all Harbaugh Super Bowl? I literally thought that at the time in 2011. And the next year in 2012, at the, after the conclusion of that season, what happened? You had a brother-brother Super Bowl, right? And it was a great storyline for the league leading up to it, the joint press conferences, and it was just... For the league, it couldn't have worked out any better because of the popularity of that storyline. So maybe it happens again this year where you have a great storyline. I mean, maybe it's not the 49ers. Maybe it's some other great storyline. But this is a prevalent storyline. The Niners and the Patriots are the only remaining undefeated teams. Garoppolo versus Brady, that whole storyline will, if they, if they both keep winning, you'll start hearing more of that. But, you know, I think that the Niners, what they need to do is, is take one game at a time. They really have to play each one of these games as, as its own entity. They can't get too ahead of themselves because if you think about it, if you try to unpack this and say, okay, well, where do they fit in the hierarchy of the NFL? Some people are putting them as the best team. Some people are putting them against right below the Patriots. Some people say the Saints are better. To me, the Niners are the, the second best team in the NFL. Why? Because you look at the Saints. They've lost to the Rams. The Niners just beat the Rams. Look at the Seahawks. They can't stop anybody. Like I'm not scared of that Seattle defense anymore. They out of four out of their six games that they played, they've given up more than 25 points. You're not going to beat anybody like that. I don't care how good Russell Wilson's playing. That's not a sustainable way of, of playing. Kansas City did that last year, and look what happened to them. Eventually, your offense is going to be meet a team that won't be able to compete. So the Niners have to really stay the course, pay attention to their own games. They need to to keep everybody basically at bay by by winning games, right? The Seattle's, the Saints, all these teams. If you want home field, if you take care of your own business, you don't have to worry about them. And that's the big part to me is the two teams that seem the most likely to be challenging the Niners for that home field advantage, they're both known for having extreme home field advantages, maybe the best mm -hmm. two in the league. And that's New Orleans and the Superdome. You know, in the playoffs, they don't have to play in bad weather. You know, I've seen stats about Breeze when he has to play in the bad weather in the playoffs. He's not nearly as good. So him getting to play at home would be huge for them. And then the other team, Seattle. We all know, you know, Niner fans know all too well about Seattle's home field advantage. So it is important for them to stay the course and, like you said, take one game at a time. The only thing, don't sleep on Green Bay in the NFC. You know, they're 5-1-2. and one, two. Rodgers seems to be playing a little better this year, and their defense is much improved from, from previous years. I, I wouldn't sleep on Green Bay. I think they are still a legitimate threat in the NFC. If I guess that's my bias against Green Bay. <laughs> I did forget about Green Bay, but I'm also not a huge believer in them just yet. I don't think they've clicked on... They have issues, I think, on both sides of the ball. Not huge ones. The defense, like you said, is much improved. But we did see last week where that defense was starting to have some cracks. And 
then offensively there is a bit of a disconnect or maybe it's just a learning curve for Rodgers because it's been a long time since he had to learn a new <laughs> offensive system. So I guess that's, that's my Green Bay bias and not wanting to think of them as a real contender. That and they require the help of the officials. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that too. You can't. Uh, by the way, that same crew is is uh, refereeing the Niners game this weekend. So the, oh, watch the, out, Bosa. Watch those hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can you guys believe that? I, I can't believe that. Like, look, I understand that the the Lions had a chance earlier in the game to put touchdowns on the board instead of field goals. But when it comes down to it, you can't you can't say that the officials did not have an effect on the outcome of that game. Like it was so poorly officiated that entire game, but specifically that last, that last bit where Trey flowers got called twice and it extended the drive. Like, no, look, we don't know what the, the lions would or wouldn't have done on the ensuing drive. If they, if they got the ball back, we don't know if they could have kicked the game winning field goal or if the Stafford would have thrown a pick to end the game. We don't know. But the thing is, is that you robbed them of a chance to win that game. And to me in, in today's NFL, they have to be better than that. And I tweeted out that, and, and I've tweeted this out many times where the product suffers because of poor officiating. And I think that instead of, and this is my own unpopular opinion, I guess, but I, I think that instead of parading these, these teams around internationally to London and China and Mexico, wherever the hell you want to take them, why don't you invest that money into your own officiating and ensure that these guys are full-time employees, ensure that they get that year-round training wherever they need to be better at their job because the, the officiating in this league is not good enough. What you, what you pay these players to put their bodies on the line for, for an official to go and mess that up. That's, that's unacceptable. I know a lot of people who are just like, I just, I just, the, the product isn't watchable because there's too many penalties. The Niners had had three penalty uh, penalties, call back touchdowns in week one. There was five in that game. That's ridiculous. So the NFL is misguided here. They want the, the volume of viewers, but they don't want to fix the quality of their product. And to me, that's the single reason why I can't stand Roger Goodell is because he doesn't care about that. He cares about making money hand over fist, but he doesn't care about the quality of his own product. And as a fan, it's just so frustrating to watch. I, I did hear one thing this week on, on uh, radio sports talk, and I, I came in in the middle of the interview, so I don't know who was talking because I literally heard like three minutes in the interview and then had to get out of the of my vehicle to go to work. But it was a former retired referee, uh, longtime NFL referee, and he was talking about what is the issue. And he said it's not an issue necessarily on the NFL or something that they can do anything about. They had all these reti- retirements lately of a lot of their top refs going on. But then... So they had to replace him with inexperience. And he was talking about when he joined the NFL, he came from the Big Ten. He spent 16 years refing in the Big Ten before he came to the NFL. And he said he was a terrible referee for the first two to three years in the NFL because the game was so much faster, he couldn't keep up. He was missing things. He was seeing things that he thought was one thing but wasn't. And it took him two to three years to adjust to the speed of the game. And that was with 16 years experience at a big in a big conference like the Big Ten. A lot of the new guys, including the person who made that penalty call against Detroit, are coming with only five to six years experience in college. And that, to me, what does the NFL do? If they're having retirements and then the only guys left that are willing to make the jump aren't that experienced. There's really only one thing, and that would be to have them 
be full time, like you said, in the off season, be training to be better refs or something along those lines. But that's a huge ask. And they do have a union. The, the referee union does exist. And a lot of these guys have full time jobs elsewhere. You know, I forget which referee. It was one of them. Uh, Might have been Hockley or somebody was a, a doctor. You know, they're not going to leave being a doctor to be oh, a full time ref. A lawyer, I you know what I mean? Oh, Hockley's a lawyer. Yeah. But yeah. To me, there's not a, a great solution. They're they're inexperienced refs right now, and it's probably going to be two to three more years at least for this to be fixed. See, I don't think the league has an officiating problem. I think the league has a, a vision problem, essentially. I don't think the referees are substantially worse than they have been in the past. I think the problem is that we all sit at home on our beautiful HD televisions and we can see exactly what happened in slow motion from multiple angles. We see all the mistakes that they make more than we've ever seen them before. The problem is they can't fix it. I, I don't think people blame the officials for blowing calls. Like you, like you were just saying, Levin, the game is so fast. It's hard to see what the hell is going on out there at the same time, avoiding these athletes that if they make contact with you can pretty much turn you into dust. What they need is a sky judge. They need somebody, an official up in the booth who sees what we see and in real time, not in a review, but right after the play, when a flag is thrown, he can say, you know what, pick up that flag or yes, that was a penalty in real time and and help these officials, give them help for some of these things that are going on because the game is so fast. I think that's the issue is that we see all the mistakes more than we ever have and we see a way that the NFL could fix them that they're choosing not to implement. Yeah, I mean, I could, I, could, I could buy that. To me, it's just, I just hate seeing the flow of a game disrupted by laundry on the field, right? Whether it's a, a red or yellow flag, either way. And I think that we, this didn't really go uh, reported too much, but I believe you guys at PFT actually reported this. I saw this on, on, on your site, Stats, was that Al Riveron talked to the officials after the first week of the season about holding calls specifically. And there's an emphasis of letting more go because there were too many holding calls and the league average dropped from over five in the first week to three in the second week or almost three in the second week. It was like 2.9. So there's a clear course correct that they're trying here. I think with a lot of the new officials, Levin, that you were saying, I think that they need that course correct because maybe they're, they're a little bit overzealous and they realize that hey, I maybe have to hold on to this flag to let the flow of the game for the better the betterment of the game. Because look, honestly, guys, it's it's sports. There's penalties on every single play. <laughs> it just, that's just the way it is. And some of them are caught, some of them aren't. So it's just par for the course, really. I think that in a way, I, I, I do agree with you, Stats, that they are, they are not any worse than they, than they were in the past because we do have access to HD and, and camera angles that you don't see uh, on the field. But I really also think that because of that, maybe they can take advantage of it and have, I don't know, they talked about eye in the sky sort of stuff, right? It's just, to me, it's just a really fascinating debate and there's no quick fix to it, but it's just a really fascinating debate. And I hope the Niners are not victimized by this, by the way, at any point in now or in the future. Well, hopefully they should be insulated or if they play up to what they should, they should be insulated from a referee being able to decide a game this week, at least against Washington. Yeah, and really, they if they do get down, you can't hit the panic button and, and really stay the course and try to try to just put yourself in a position, like you said, by of of not being able to be affected by the officials. So that's that's one big thing that I wanted to address on on the show this week. The other big thing, guys, 
Jalen Ramsey to the Rams in the, in my opinion, ultimate panic button move. The Rams shipped off Marcus Peters. And when I saw that happen, I was like, this is not done yet. There's no way that they ship off Marcus Peters for a, a nothing linebacker to the Ravens. They, they cleared up cap room so they can make that Ramsey trade. And boy, did they ever mortgage their future to get Jalen Ramsey. Like they are all in this year and next year. And basically that's it. They don't have a first round pick for the next two years. They are going to have to pay Jalen Ramsey top dollar. They're going to have over a hundred million dollars by that point locked up in five guys on the roster. And they are going to go through some really, really hard decisions if this doesn't work out for them. The Jalen Ramsey thing, you know, I had coworkers going all, you know, the Rams are now going to be right up there and you got to worry about them again. To me, I'm okay with the trade because for one, Jalen Ramsey, what does he do? He's going to shut down your number one wide receiver. Well, the Niners don't have one. We've already covered that. (laughs) He's not going to really help. He's going to shut down somebody that is only as good of an option as the other guys that are out there. He's not going to be able to go one-on-one with George Kittle because he's a tight end. He doesn't line up in the right spots for Ramsey. You're going to put Ramsey, you know, in danger's way on the run game. If he's sitting in the box as a slot receiver or something along those lines. And then on top of that, they paid Jared Goff the most of any quarterback, the highest contract. They got the most expensive running back. They got the most expensive wide receiver in Brandon Cooks. They got the most expensive defensive player in Aaron Donald. And now you're going to add Jalen Ramsey, who I would guess is going to have to be the most expensive cornerback out there. They won't have cap space to not only go out and improve their team, but they're not going to have cap space to keep their guys. They're going to have no depth going next season, and they're going to lose some quality players, starting quality players, because of this trade. So to me, it makes them better this season, yes, but not necessarily better against the 49ers. And then next season, they'll be at best even with what they were before this trade because they're not going to have the cap space to do anything. Yeah, you you said it, Levin. I think that the way I evaluate moves a lot of times is what do the other people in your division, what would their reaction be to this move? And my reaction to this move was, okay, I mean, congratulations. You, you, the last first round draft pick you had was Jared Goff in 2016, and you're not going to have another one until 2022. All right. So now you've given away your best chance to bring in cheap, high end talent. You got a guy in Jalen Ramsey, as you said, Levin, who covers number one wide receivers. Well, look at the NFC West. I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's probably the best wide receiver in the entire division, and he's ancient. He's a fossil. So I'm not really sure what the Rams are going for for this move. Uh, Jalen Ramsey doesn't block on the offensive line. That's clearly their biggest deficiency. So as a Niner fan, I love to see it. Please continue giving up high draft picks for players that that don't improve your team that much and don't address your biggest weakness. Please. Yeah, it it makes me laugh because not only is their offensive line their biggest weakness, and now they got a really difficult task at improving it, but what is their quarterback? This isn't the case, like we mentioned earlier, with. They have a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo who can get rid of the ball and handles pressure really well. It's not a case of the New England Patriots having Tom Brady. Their quarterback is terrible when pressured. Jared <laughs> Goff is one of... I, I don't remember where exactly he ranks. I was looking at it earlier, but he's one of the worst when pressured. And you're going to make a move that makes it impossible for you to address the offensive line in front of him. That's one of the league's worst. And, by the way, one of the league's oldest. 
Yeah, it's just the ultimate panic move for me because maybe, well, they're opening up a new stadium next year and they want a new face on that team. And I just I just don't know. It just seems like less need was was reaching for it. Because remember, they did this last year too, right? They brought in Marcus Peters, Tlaib, Dante Fowler, uh, a bunch of other guys like Brandon Cooks. Like they they brought in a bunch of guys. So um, really what, what it comes down to is they got to, the Niners just got to take care of business. They don't let the Rams up. They're three games behind. I don't think they're going to be a threat. Well, guys, uh, we got another, hopefully, another victory podcast next week. Yeah. You guys down for that? Amen. <laughs> Let's not jinx it, but yes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sitting in a wood chair, right? So I'll just knock on wood right now. So, um, all right. So for Rob Stats Guerrera and Levin Black. This is Zane Naffy with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle, no Huddle Podcast. And remember, everybody, for accurate pre- predictions on every NFL matchup and thought provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to the QBSync.com. See you guys next week.